Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 4 at verse 5. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony, and I'm glad you joined me for this Bible study today. Even though our expositions technically will start in verse 5, I'd like to begin reading once again at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 of chapter 4 in order to get the flow of this entire context and this this scene that uh, John is describing that he is experiencing at this moment and to get that uh, kind of a feel uh, for the entire experience. Let's, let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Revelation where it says this. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, And because of your will, they existed and were created. So we find here in this scene that John has been called up uh, through what uh, evidently is something uh, similar perhaps to a a portal into this dimension of heaven. And uh, uh, he is uh, told then, uh, he is writing then about uh, uh, his experience of how he got there. Number one, he was on the island of Patmos to begin with, but now he's he's invited into this uh, open door into heaven to witness the throne room, uh, the throne room 
room, evidently, of God. Now, I want you to notice that that the voice that spoke to him, that invited him there, was the same voice that was in the beginning of the book uh, that had the sound of a trumpet behind it, and uh, or at least that that was the sound of the voice itself. Now, I can't reproduce it uh, because I don't know what that sounds like, except it evidently is the kind of voice that gets your attention, and it has some sort of authority about it. And, uh, and because that voice invites him there, then he is transported there uh, in some form or another. And uh, that's what he, that, that is what he begins to describe in those first four verses. Now, I did want to, before I get into uh, verse 5, I did want to at least draw a parallel that uh, John's experience at this moment in time or at this, that's, at this uh, part of this particular book, notice that it is after the seven letters to the seven churches. And then after this point, the churches are not mentioned until, until much, much later, at the uh, bridegroom and the uh, the uh, uh, that is the bride and the joining the bridegroom at the um, uh, marriage supper of the lamb, but uh, all the rest through in between, uh, there is no mention of any churches necessarily, and so we believe that uh, that John himself is a picture of something that will happen to all true believers before the next uh, uh, phase, you might say, of God's plan on earth dealing with the judgment of the the Gentile uh, empires of the earth. And um, we find that uh, Paul himself even hints at this idea in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Paul says, "'Behold, I tell you a mystery,' We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, uh, and the, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So Paul recognizes there's some significant event for all believers that both those in the grave and those who are alive will experience the same thing, that we will be changed, we will be resurrected, we will have resurrected new bodies. And uh, Paul elucidates on that same theme in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, where he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Notice that he doesn't describe the Lord descending to the earth. He just descends as far as the sky, you might say, uh, the, the area above the earth. And it says, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Notice the voice and the trumpet are coinciding here at the same moment, in the same experience, sort of the same way in which John himself is experiencing this voice that sounds like a trumpet and gives that kind of a warning or that kind of an announcement, that kind of a uh, an authoritative invitation that cannot be ignored. And, and so it says, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall be always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, that's First Thessalonians chapter four, verses sixteen through eighteen. And as a part of that context, uh, Paul even goes farther in saying that uh, that. Uh, uh, 
the day of the Lord is coming, but it's coming like a thief. But he's, he, he describes this, this experience in which believers, both those in the grave and those who are alive, will join the Lord in the air um, above the earth, and uh, we will always be with the Lord in that place. And in fact, uh, the context of the letter of 1 Thessalonians continues on through chapter 5, verse 9, where John kind of summarizes this whole thing, and he says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what the day of the Lord is all about. It's about the wrath of God. Now, now we have been destined for a lot of things. As believers and followers of Christ, we have been promised that we will suffer persecution, that we will suffer various things. We will suffer at the hand of just being the fact that we we don't have our resurrected bodies yet. Uh, we will suffer by uh, uh, circumstances and and all sorts of other things. We have not been promised a, 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 a nice, a comfortable life uh, in this life. If we do have a comfortable life, then that is the mercy of God because it's not been promised to us. Uh, we've been promised persecution. We We've been promised that uh, things will not be easy. We've been promised tribulation, but God has not destined us for this coming wrath. And that's what, uh, that's what is going about here. And some people say, well, um, uh, uh, there is no such thing as a rapture, and yet uh, um, what you need to understand is that the the uh, it depends upon the the translation that you use because that word that verb there of being caught up uh, together in the clouds being caught up uh, if it's translated in the Latin that is exactly where we get our word for rapture, and so it just depends on the translation you use whether or not rapture is in there because it's still in there. It's the idea of being caught up together with Christ in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and we shall take comfort in that. And so we are not destined for the wrath to come. And so that's the reason why I wanted to hint on that, or hit on on it, that is, uh, uh, because because, uh, there is that certain kind of... of, um, uh, image that's being portrayed even by John himself in this incident that he himself experienced so that he uh, is a reflection of what uh, is coming perhaps uh, for all the believers and uh, and that has been uh, given to us through the Apostle Paul in particular of uh, the description of what that might look like. So then we find in verse 5, this is what John sees once he gets there. Notice that up until now, John has been on the earth, and even his his uh, vision of Jesus in chapter one is all on the earth, and it's Jesus in uh, in uh, uh, in the context of fellowship with and control and authority over and guidance over the uh, the churches and in the middle of the churches in an invisible sense, and John gets to see the visible part uh, of uh, of that from an earthly perspective. Now John is seeing what's going on in the heaven perspective because now he has been transported there and that's what he sees. And so he sees the throne room and he sees all these other thrones around and we didn't get into the details because we knew that we were going to get into those details here in this next passage about the 24 thrones and the 24 elders and uh, 
Uh, and they're dressed in white garments already, and they have golden crowns on their head. And we're not exactly sure uh, what uh, who these 24 elders are, but it is it is uh, interesting to note that this is the the summation of the 12 tribes of Israel Israel uh, with the 12 apostles of the New Testament. And if you if you sum those up together, they add up to 24. And um, uh, we don't know that that's exactly what it is, but it sure comes close to explain why that number is used there and the combination of the of the unity of the scriptures uh, from the old covenant with the nation of Israel as well as the new covenant uh, by grace with uh, the believers of this age and the followers of Christ and so it says there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And so this is not, uh, by the way, these are not the same as the seven lampstands that represented the churches. These are not lampstands in that sense. It's a different word in the original language. In fact, in in the original language, it's a term that's used for torches. And uh, most of the time, those torches were used for lighting up a a war camp uh, so that the armies would uh, would camp out and they would use these torches to light it up. It's the same term uh, that's used, uh, at least in the Old Testament, it's used for like uh, Gideon and the torches that he held. Uh, that's, that's that terminology. And so uh, it, they are representing the seven spirits of God. Now, I don't really believe that he's talking about distinctly different seven spirits, but a seven spirit sevenfold spirit uh, of of the same person, but seven dimensions to that person. And uh, that's where we come to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord, there's one, will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, there's two and three. The spirit of counsel and strength, there's four and five. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, there's six and seven. And so we find the sevenfold spirit in Isaiah 11:2 we'll be back right after this back into Revelation chapter 4, and we're uh, in verse 6, where uh, John is describing all of these things around the throne, and those things include the 24 elders that are sitting on thrones themselves. They are sharing some sort of authority with the great throne uh, that is there, and um, there's lots of descriptions about that. And what's interesting is this is not necessarily a foreign um, 
a foreign um, experience, you might say, to John, because it happened to others uh, and other prophets before him. But uh, look at what it says here. And before the throne was something like a sea of glass. You see, there's some sort of a reflecting pool that uh, John seems to uh, want to describe, as well as all the other things that are going on. He says that um, there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder in verse 5, and there were seven lamps, so that uh, there's these noises that are going on that uh, are like a coming storm, and yet it's not necessarily a storm except for the fact that uh, there is such a disruption in the universe that uh, these kinds of things are are what uh, John can witness. And remember that John is trying to describe things according to his own vocabulary and um, and his own experience. And so these things may be something else, but these are the things uh, that are impressing John, and these are the best descriptions he can come up with by the power of the Spirit of God describing these things in his own vocabulary. And so there's this this uh, noise and light and sounds and and uh, thunder and, and all this rumble going on, and there's something dramatic going to happen. That's what happens uh, even earlier, uh, that uh, uh, the in the nation of Israel, when they stood before uh, the uh, uh, the mountain where where uh, God was revealing the 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 law of Moses, that that covenant was initiated with these same kinds of sounds and these same kinds of images, and those were actually there on earth as God implemented the covenant of Moses, but. Uh, But here it says, and before the throne was something like the sea of glass. And so this reflecting pool reflects all of these sounds, all of these colors, uh, green and white and and red, and all of these things are going on, and they're reflected in the the pool uh, there in front. And it says, uh, like crystal, it says. We don't know whether or not this is a liquid uh, sea or a liquid pool or a solid pool. We don't know, but it says uh, it's it's a reflecting uh, kind of thing. And it's clear like crystal. It might be gold for all I know, but it says, uh, but that's not the, the term that he uses here. And in the center and around the throne, and here he begins this elaborate discussion of these extra creatures. And uh, we've not seen these creatures except for the fact that. Uh, that uh, they evidently do exist around the throne of God. And um, it says there are four living creatures with eyes in front and behind. So these reflect the fact that they, they can perceive things. They see all around them themselves and see, uh, uh, see what's happening. They are alert, and that's what these eyes represent. And uh, what's interesting is that uh, it's the same kind of uh, creatures that Ezekiel saw. Uh, and and that is in Ezekiel chapter one, uh, verse verses six through ten. Ezekiel talks about these same kind of things around the throne of God, and uh, they have. But in Ezekiel's case, he describes each of the creatures as having four faces, and those four faces on each creature were the same four faces that John sees here on each of the creatures. Now it seems as though that uh, maybe. Um, uh, maybe this is not a contradiction, but this this may actually be the same creatures. We don't know for sure, but it may very well be the same ones, uh, these same four creatures who uh, who have uh, 
uh, four different faces on each, but only one face is presented to John on each creature, uh, even though they possess uh, others uh, in their on their other sides, they only present one side to John, and so that it presents this panorama, you might say, that John is describing here. For uh, and uh, so they not only have eyes around all of, all about them. It says uh, the first creature was like a lion, so his face reflected that, and the second creature like that of a calf, and so he reflected that uh, that image, and the third creature had a face like that of a man. And so uh, that's part of what these creatures do. They, they, we might call them angels, but they're not called angels. Uh, in other places, they're called uh, cherubim, or um, uh, in other places, they're called seraphim. Uh, and those may be two different categories of angelic creatures. Uh, and yet, uh, they do carry out specialized kind of assignments in heaven. Uh, they evidently don't come to earth like uh, norm- <laughs> like normal angels. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, that's so funny to me that we we refer to some some creatures as just normal angels. But uh, but uh, anyway, these these creatures are unique. They're dramatic, yes, uh, visually to John as he is presenting them to us, and he's trying to describe them as best he can um, uh, to us. And um, uh, Genesis talks about uh, a cherubim being placed in the Garden of Eden to guard. Um, guard uh, the garden from from uh, trespassers, and that, that's in Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-four. So we know that cherubim exist. We also know that uh, on the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Covenant uh, in the Old Testament um, in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, the uh, the mercy seat also had attached to the mercy seat or built in with the mercy seat, these two cherubim with wings that were touching each other over the mercy seat. And so we know that there are these specialized creatures that are reflected even in the tabernacle and its construction. Um, and in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and, and uh, 2 through 6, but I'm only going to read two verses. Seraphim stood above him, uh, each having six wings, and two he covered his face, and uh, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And then the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And so uh, Isaiah saw evidently these same creatures, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but they sure reflect some of those same elements that John is seeing in these creatures, and uh, that may be very well. We also know that the the devil, the uh, Satan himself, was originally um, an archangel of some sort, and he's he's called a cherub. And um, uh, the cherub in the Old Testament and the cherub in the Bible isn't isn't the kind of uh, uh, like uh, chubby little babies with wings. Uh, cherub in the Bible is again uh, one of these kinds of creatures that aren't just normal angels. They're a certain category as well of seraphim. And um, uh, Satan, at one point in his career, before he himself sinned and rebelled against God. 
He was called a covering cherub for whatever that means and whatever role that was in heaven. So he was a part of this this kind of specialized uh, unit uh, around the throne for um, for whatever reason until uh, until he was no longer allowed to carry on that particular role. And so what's interesting is that these four creatures are described this way because they are reflecting certain things, maybe even about creation itself, uh, because of uh, uh, the way that these these things are um, are arranged. It says that uh, one looks like a um, one looks like uh, a lion, and uh, that those are the the beasts of the field, you might say, uh, and the creature like a calf. Those are the, the beasts uh, uh, of uh, of a domesticated kind, and then there's a creature like the face of a man. Those are the human creation, as well as the fourth creature like a flying eagle. So the birds of the air are represented here as well. Um, it could be a reflection of. Uh, uh, of the tribes of Israel that were the closest to the uh, tabernacle, uh, Judah was the was uh, represented by a lion. Ephraim was represented by an ox. Uh, Reuben was represented by a man, and Dan was represented by an eagle. And so those banners. Uh, of those tribes that were the closest to the tabernacle in the Old Testament um, are reflected even in what John sees in these four creatures. And they have uh, these wings. Now, there may be a different number of wings. Again, Ezekiel has four wings. Uh, uh, These these have six wings. Isaiah's description of uh, those creatures uh, called seraphim, they have six wings. So uh, uh, it could be that uh, John only saw the, uh, uh, or John uh, saw six and Ezekiel only saw the four. We don't know. Or, or maybe they're different creatures and they're, they're different descriptions. But either way, uh, they have eyes all around. That means they are alert to what's happening. And day and night, this is their role. They, they make this declaration as a part of their drama of their existence. This is their purpose of declaring the holiness of God in three terms, holy, holy, holy. That's a triune declaration to the holiness of God, the Lord God, and uh, and the Almighty. That means he has power to do things. He is all-powerful, who was and who is and who is to come. This is a, an elaboration of uh, the original name that God gave. I am who I am. That's what he told Moses. And this is exactly the same thing. It's just described with different terminology. And it creates a, perhaps a, a different uh, verbal uh, or a literary expression of about uh, God's own existence is uh, both in the past and in the present and in the future all at the same time. And then when, when these creatures give their worship, it says, and the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever. Verse 10 says, the 24 elders will fall down before him and who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. And so so part of the worship is that these human uh, 
uh, uh, dignitaries that are sitting there in 24 thrones, perhaps representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the New Testament uh, church, that those those uh, 24 elders uh, cast their crowns before the throne. And this is a, a type of worship because they realize that even whatever awards they receive from God, that they know where the source of those rewards come from. In other words, the source of the power to carry out whatever it took to win those awards, that those awards belong ultimately to God himself. And so this is the ultimate act of worship, saying everything that we accomplished, everything that we earn or everything that we have been given uh, uh, on these thrones and on with these crowns on our head, we deliver them and cast them at God's feet. And they say these words, worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. You see, it is important. It is biblical to understand that God is our creator. He is our designer. We are living out his design that he has placed upon us. And it's only because of him that we do exist. And it's because of him that we have uh, this design, that we have this purpose, that we, we were created by him. And because we were created by him, he has authority over us. And people don't like that these days, but that's exactly what this book starts with. Before it's before it starts into the judgments upon the Gentile nations, it starts with this appeal, with this worship toward the God who created. He is our designer. He is our creator. And we owe our lives to him. We owe our cleansing and the payment for our sin to him. But, but here we know that he has created us and he is our God because he's created us. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us to be the God you say you are and to carry out your word. We thank you for these images that John has described to us so that we know that you have the power to be in control and the authority to do the things that are necessary to bring about your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.